It's the Up North Lowdown from Interlochen Public Radio. I'm Ed Ronco, and this week, something uh, a little different. We'd like you to meet Matthew Cochran and Matthew McAllister. They are both accomplished classical guitarists. That's McAllister playing there on his 10-string. Cochran is a composer and teaches here at Interlochen Center for the Arts. And McAllister is a lecturer at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland and a well-known performer in the UK and beyond. Hi, my name is Matthew Cochran, um, guitarist and composer extraordinaire. Um, oh, sorry, hi. I knew you always wanted to be me. <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? What can I say? <laughs> I am Matthew Cochran and... <laughs> Uh, Matthew McAllister. Our classical IPR colleague Kate Batello recently spent some time with them as they were in the middle of recording their new album, Pale Blue Dot, right here in northern Michigan. And since this past week was a little shorter for us because of the holiday, we thought that we would just take a break from the news and offer this instead. So here are the Matthews, Cochran and McAllister, chatting with Kate Patello. Let me think about this for just a second. Inside the visually and acoustically stunning... What's happening here? I'm describing the space. It's very unbeautiful. ...cathedral barn at Historic Barnes Park in Traverse City, where they were recording their album. Talking my grown-up voice now, okay. We are here in the cathedral barn at Historic Barnes Park. So if you imagine a bunch of old-fashioned barns, this place. It's hard to imagine there were ever cows in this building. It has huge vaulted ceilings and there are these kind of cafe light exposed light bulbs hanging everywhere, wooden floors, little twinkly Christmas lights and just wood everywhere. The floors, the windows and it just smells really good in here. It smells like old wood and not like barn as you might imagine. And I am here of course with Matthew Cochran and Matthew McAllister. Greetings to both of you. Kate. Hello. And you're here recording an album, and I'm very curious about that because this room is bouncy. Did you hear that bounce? Yeah, it's like a cathedral. And normally if you record, you're in like a, a tight, dry kind of space. So why did you pick this space to record in? So it has everything to do with the timbre of the guitar. Uh, you play a note on the guitar, and it has a tendency to die quite quickly on you. And so Every time you play, you want to try and, I don't know, extend your life a little bit, you know? And uh, environments like this allow the guitar to kind of extend the life of each note. And so we want that bounce so that we can have this like gorgeous uh, reverb and it just allows the sound of the guitar to live its best life. Have you ever Measured it. Do you know how many seconds it is? Yeah, it's about 1.7 something. Which is pretty good for guitar. It's perfect for guitar. Because it's not too long, yeah. where things get really muddy and really confused, but it's enough to give the instrument a little help. Yeah, you know? I find the two second mark to be sort of where, where things get a bit cloying and, and difficult to really get detail from. Okay. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so to me, this is kind of a, a Goldilocks sort of space. Yeah, yeah. No, it's perfect. So you can get the reverb from the room rather than the engineer. Exactly right. And the engineer who is? Oh, yours truly. Right, <laughs> exactly. Okay, now one of these pieces is Pale Blue Dot. So this is, Cochran, your work. That's right. Carl Sagan 
I think for us really looms large. And when we were first talking about putting this record together, we were having a lot of just kind of private conversations about Sagan for whatever reason. And we're talking about space a lot, space and time. Like you do. Like you do. Um, and I think it has something to do with middle age, honestly. Um, and Speak for yourself. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I think uh, of the writings of Carl Sagan that I like the most, um, his book Pale Blue Dot just really kind of, it's, it's really positive, it's really exciting. He sees sort of a, he sees the world that we're living in now, and he also sees this very positive possible future, I think, for, uh, uh, for humanity. And I love that idea. And I really love the idea of looking at Earth from a million, million miles away and sort of seeing how I think our maybe petty little problems or little issues that we have in our day, they don't really matter that much. And I just wanted another document to remind me of that. So we started uh, talking about the possibility of a piece, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll write us a little, you know, five-minute jaunty something. Um, and then it about 18 minutes later, um, we ended up with a, 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 a large-scale suite, five movements uh, for, for two guitars. Now, speaking of document, I've seen a copy of the score, and it says dedicated to Matthew McAllister. That's very nice. That's very nice. Thank you very much. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Like, what's... Well, that adds an extra level of pressure. You know, you've got to get all these notes right now. You've got to make sure it's like, it lives up to your expectations of, you know, documenting humanity for the rest of time. <laughs> you know, um, no, 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 no big task there. Um, I, do, I feel very honoured. I feel very honoured. It's really special to have a piece of music dedicated to you and uh, by a good friend. It's even more special. Why did you dedicate it to me? Come on, they want to know. Oh, oh well, <laughs> it's, it's nice to... I think document a friendship as well. You know, when you, uh, when, when you write a piece and you have the opportunity to, uh, I, I think you're sort of sharing a little bit of your inner mind. Um, and so you might as well share um, who you care about and who you enjoy spending your time with and who will be also playing one half of this piece every time we walk out on stage and perform it. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm just trying to butter the guy up, I don't know. Yeah, I think you gave me all the hard stuff. I did, you indeed. Know? I think I've got the lion's share of the heavy lifting here. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if we're really, to, you know, to a deep dive into this score. I'm mm -hmm. joking. It's very equally distributed, I must say. So, it's great. Now, speaking of space, okay, this is something I'm really curious about. Uh, one of the pieces on this record is an arrangement of, of Interstellar. And I just have to say, like, this is a giant... Hans Zimmer film score for like organ and electronics and so I, I'm just kind of at a loss as to when did you just go hey I know you know it's an awesome idea Interstellar yeah yeah it, it, sort of an awesome idea or, or, or madness depending on what <laughs> sort of you know you, what, what you want to come at it um, again it's just coming back to you know a bit like Pale Blue Dot thinking about these um, things that are out with uh, the normalcy of what we do and what we think about. You know, sometimes if you get a piece of music and you put it on the stand, 
might be in sonata form, it might be a concerto, it sort of is very clear and simple what it is. But film scores, obviously using so much visual um, stimulus as well, and it allows composers the chance to think beyond the forms that, that they you know, are maybe constricted by sometimes. Um, and it's quite a difficult thing to imagine coming down to two guitars. And like you said, Kate, like the size of an organ and there's electronics, there's orchestral instruments, it's a huge score. Um, so there's a reductive, uh, you know, and not in the negative style of the word reductive, but there's a, there's a reducing of some of that information down. But we have a trick in this recording. So normally with two guitars you have 12 strings, six on each. And of course you can tune those and you can extend the range to tuning some of the strings up, some of the strings down. For this particular arrangement, um, which was made, um, um, it's been a kind of organic process. It was originally put together by an ex-student of mine, who's now a colleague at the Royal Conservatoire in Scotland, uh, Roberto Versluis, and he's from Chile, and um, he is a, is a great guitar player. He gave us, a, 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 I asked him to really, I was like, could you work with us on this piece and, 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 and go through it? Because um, he has great skills as an arranger. And then even in the sessions, uh, Matthew and I have been changing it and adding to it and taking away from it. So it's, it's really organic. It's much more like a, putting something together that would go on an album that a band would make as opposed to classical musicians. You know, So classical musicians tend to play from the score. You tend to rehearse all the ideas, follow the instructions that are you know, provided, and then guess what? At the end of it, you've got a particularly acceptable performance of the work. We were here in this barn going, wait a minute, if you do that, that sounds amazing. Try that again, right? When you're doing that, if I do this, let's listen to that back. No, that was, we were deluded. Let's try it another <laughs> way. Okay, this is great. Oh, no, that is good, you know? So we were putting it together in that kind of way from Roberto's original framework, but, if I can just come back around again, I'll get to my point, don't you worry. You know, um, this sentence will kill me if it doesn't kill you, I'll get to the end of it. Um, so I'm using not a six string guitar, but a 10 string guitar. So I have four extra pitches available to me as open strings, and they descend down lower from the normal string of the guitar, which then stretches our octaves out that we have between the six strings and the ten strings so then we've really augmented the range so actually we're not reducing so much in register we're just giving it a different sonic property we're giving it a lot more bass a lot more resonance which can give it that maybe less organ like but more celestial harp like kind of texture and timbre and um, the themes in interstellar all kind of root around one almost Chacon or Passacaglia-like bass, kind of like, you know, harmonic chord progression. Get quite technical now. But we are, we are opening up from that. So each little vignette as we go through is like a variation on that until the very end, which is really as, as, as dramatic as it can be before the final reprise of the theme. So we use harmonics, we use low basses. We just, we use as much as we possibly can from the plucked string to get as much sound in there as, as, as possible. I have a follow-up for this because I've seen it and it's weird. It's just weird. Okay, as a guitarist, you have muscle memory, yeah. hardcore muscle memory for six strings. So does it just break your brain? How do you get yourself to add the next four strings. Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of a, um, I was really into the sound of it for, when I was a student, I, I was kind of a, a bit annoyed with the six string guitar 
So when I was at the academy and I was studying guitar, I was like, this is, the, the low E string's a problem for me. And then, of course, someone was like, well, you can just turn that little tuner and it changes from an E. You know, so oh, well, that's magic. It goes down to D, that's quite nice. Oh, there's loads of repertoire in D. You can keep going down, but the lower you go down with one string, it just starts to sound, it's got no tautness, no vitality. It's just kind of this kind of flabby string that's just like flapping around. So I was inspired by really great guitar players like uh, Goran Solskjaer or there's a, a Scottish uh, player, Paul Galbraith, and they were multi-stringed instrumentalists. So they had, you know, Paul had eight strings on his guitar, Goran has 11, which terrifies me. Ten is just about enough for my brain to sort of handle. So I started experimenting with it when I was a student and then I got a guitar commissioned not long after graduation. And I used to, believe it or not, I used to play concerts where I would mix 10 string and six string. But I think physically and cognitively, I mean, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be, I think I'd find that quite challenging. I think I'd have to devote all of my time to that endeavour. So it's great to be able to play my 10-string again in this, this relationship with Matthew Cochran because we can, we can arrange it, we can use it texturally, we can use it atmospherically. Um, we still get to have that sound, I still get to play that instrument. But it is, it's dead interesting for the hand... If you think of like our opposable thumbs, you know, the reason why we're in charge and the cats aren't, you know, if you think about evolution, because as soon as they get that thumb a wee bit closer, we are, I think we're in big trouble, do you know what I mean? If I, if going by the cat I have at home, I think we'd be in big, big trouble when they get that evolution sorted out. Yeah. With our opposable thumbs, it's getting like a lesson now, um, the thumb has to be quite close to the index finger so we can pick things up, so we can write with pencils, so we can all text on our phones, you know, the end of humanity right there. Um, the thumb has to come really far back from the index finger to reach down for these bass strings. That's sore. So at the end of our sessions, when we were recording Interstellar, I was like, my thumb was kind of stuck up here. I was walking about, like, trying to hitch a lift. Do you know what I mean? Everywhere I was going, I've got, you know, I'm sort of like E.T. trying to phone home. You know? So I think, like, you know, just this... It's physiologically different, and it's quite demanding on the hand. So we have to sort. You have to watch. You know, you could actually do yourself a, an injury if you kind of just kept on going and going and going. We had to kind of stop a few times, give breaks, and and um, yeah, because it's, it's it's like a different animal, really, to be honest. Well, we'll have a, some picture and a little video on our website for you to see that because it is truly something else. But now, okay, so as we've said here. Um, you two are sitting around discussing the space-time continuum. You know, you've got all this space stuff on your record. So is this, have you both been like planetary people from like childhood or did you just discover you had this in common as adult, an adult discussing the works of Carl Sagan? Like how did this happen? It's exactly like the second part of that sentence. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I couldn't have possibly been less interested in space or astronomy when I was a kid. Like, it just, it meant nothing to me. I could not possibly, I remember trips to a planetarium. I remember complaining about them. And now we're playing concerts in planetariums. Oh, right. um, and it's like the coolest thing ever. So I don't know, like, I, I had some kind of weird uh, sort of adult realization that space is cool. <laughs> It's cool. I'm kind of the opposite. I was really into it. Um, and now I've dragged you into it too. Um, I think uh, my dad used to take me to... So I'm obviously from Scotland, so I lived on the east coast of Scotland. And we used to go to meetings uh, in Edinburgh, which was a bit of a trek, uh, to Carlton Hill where the Royal Observatory is. And we used to go to planetariums. We used to go to um, astronomical meetings, you know. Um, and it was dead interesting. I had a little badge 
and everything. You had a badge. I had a badge. It was amazing. I loved it. I still got the badge. Um, so it's great. And I mean, this idea of time travel and like space and the planets and thinking outside of, you know, what could be potentially possible. And if you think about the zeitgeist of the moment, the planet, the climate, you know, and also then these, you know, these uh, people that are trying to leave the planet. Um, there's there's a lot of interesting sort of timely discussion going yeah. on, you know, and uh, Sagan was a man who was sort of hinting at this a long time ago, a long time ago, and now we're just sort of wrapping our heads around it now. So it's, it's quite interesting. The discussions are coming up more with friends. I mean, I think it was after a gig in Scotland that mm-hmm. we really were having a beer after you played a gig, and um, we started getting right into you know, some of this stuff, you know. So it's like Sagan was making a point to what we're doing to our planet and how fragile its ecosystem is and how fragile the planet is. And then we were also looking at that sort of otherworldly thing, you know, that's going on just now with all these characters like Musk trying to leave the planet and his rockets and all this kind of stuff, you he, know. He can go. Well, yes, fine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> don't know if you can do Can you do that? I mean, there'll be a rocket coming towards IPR any minute now. Like, you'll just see it. Apologies, IPR. This will be your last broadcast. At least this isn't live, eh? <laughs> Cochrane and McCast will be winding up their album, Pale Blue Dot, in March, and we'll make sure you all get a chance to hear it or hear some more samples from it soon. Uh, Matthew Cochran, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Matthew McAllister, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kate. Our colleague Kate Patello brought us that interview with Matthew Cochran and Matthew McAllister from the Cathedral Barn at Historic Barnes Park in Traverse City. They will be appearing on an upcoming episode of Classical Sprouts this spring. Classical Sprouts is another IPR podcast. It's hosted by Kate, and it explores the world of classical music in a relatable way that is perfect for kids of any age, including, I should say, their early 40s. I learn a lot from Kate on that podcast. You can find Classical Sprouts and all of our other podcasts at interlockenpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, thanks for listening this week. We're glad you're here. Max Copeland produced this episode. He mixes our episodes every week. And I should say, he does a really good job of it. So as we record on this week of Thanksgiving, I'm pretty thankful that he's working on the Up North Lowdown. Thanks for all you do, Max. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Max. That was very touching. You're pretty great. Thanks. You're pretty great, too. Thanks. I'm very grateful for you. Likewise, man. This podcast is made at Interlock and Public Radio. I'm Ed Ronco. And from all of us at IPR, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We will be back next week with stories from the IPR newsroom, a roundup of Michigan headlines, and all the stuff we know you count on. But we will leave you now with just a little more of that suite from Interstellar, performed and recorded by Matthew Cochran and Matthew McAllister. Close your eyes, think about outer space, and have a great week.
Gareth Coker's original score to Ori and the Will of the Wisps features a team of world-class musicians, including the Philharmonia Orchestra. The game brings together dazzling animation and stirring music in an approach partly inspired by Disney films. I'm Keith Brown. Join me for a look at Ori and the Will of the Wisps this week on Gameplay. You can stream full episodes of Gameplay on demand and view playlists at GameplayShow.org. Did you know you are physically adapting to all your swiping, scrolling, and tapping? We're changing our bodies and what they're able to do through our habits. NPR's Body Electric, a special interactive series investigating how to fix the relationship between our tech and our health. Listen in the TED Radio Hour feed wherever you get your podcasts.